Hardy and we're two friends and junior doctors who are both working in medical education this year. We've decided to make a podcast about mentoring and positive role models because over the last year the stresses and pressures of many different jobs have been high. Unfortunately, sometimes this leads to a breakdown of communication, teamwork and leadership. We think that by talking through the positive experiences of individuals in different fields, we can get people thinking about what qualities they seek in a role model for themselves and equally what would make them a good mentor for others. In each podcast, we interview someone from a different discipline and ask them to tell us about a time that they felt they had a positive mentor or role model and why. We hope some of these discussions can prompt us all to be better leaders and role models and can break down some of the barriers to improvement within different professions. So I'd like to introduce our first ever guest, um, Dr. Chloe Start. So Chloe is a Manchester Medical School graduate who developed a keen interest in peer mentoring and education early at medical school. After intercalating in medical ethics and law, she recently completed her foundation training and is currently working as an education fellow in the Northwest. She is an aspiring anaesthetist slash intensivist who therefore predictably enjoys all things simulation. For transparency reasons, Chloe and I are also close friends and we spend our free time sending nerdy medical education emails to each other. This is a judgment-free zone. Thank you so much, Chloe, for coming on the podcast. It's okay. <laughs> so as we kind of talked about before, we're just gonna have a chat, basically an informal chat about who in your life has been a positive role model and why. Um, I don't know, I, this is gonna sound really like cheesy and cliched but I don't know that I've had one positive role model I think for me role modeling is like a combination of different behaviors that you see from different people mm. um yeah I think I know your blurb is all about positivity and not the negative things but I think actually quite early in medical school a lot of me forming like my ideas about things was based a little bit around negative role, role modeling I suppose mm. like seeing people and being like I really don't want to behave like that or that made me feel really whatever in that moment mm. um and trying not to replicate those behaviors and perpetuate that culture I think is important and I think that's probably something I try and bring into my teaching now so I was teaching third years this morning and we did a session on ECGs and a lot of them, you know, the classic jokes about orthopedic surgeons and all of that kind of <laughs> And trying to stray away from building and perpetuating that culture. Yeah. Trying to kind of, you know, respect the fact that maybe orthopods can't read an ECG like a murderer can, but also maybe a murderer yeah. can't do a hip replacement. Trying not to perpetuate that, that thing that has emerged over the past few years. Yeah. Bashing and things. Yeah, no, definitely. I feel like, I mean, that's the reason that we have an MDT and actually I know these jokes are super rife within, you know, well, within like the medical profession, but probably also within other disciplines within healthcare as well. And um, they're just probably unbeknownst to us, but, but yeah, no, definitely. Like it's all about mutual respect, isn't it? And um, I think it can be difficult to, you know, base your behavior on only positive role models and actually like, Often, I think it says a lot about people, the way you treat, you know, the way they treat you and you don't have anything to offer them. So I think that a lot of the things that I did when, you know, I became an SHO, like, so to speak, I think were based upon some of my negative experiences, like as 
an F1 um, and, and mainly as a medical student, people are just dismissing you. So yeah, that's a really important point. Yeah, I really like what you said, Chloe, about it's almost like build your own role model, isn't it? It's like not one person has sprung to mind when you've contemplated that question. And I, I agree, I don't think I necessarily have one role model um, from, from my time that, um, that springs to mind immediately, but you've almost sort of picked qualities, positive and negative, from other people around you and, and, and made steps to, to figuring out which ones you, you want to carry forward with you and who, and who you want to be. Um, which, which aspects and qualities have you... Um, have you picked up from from people that you may have come across in the workplace that have been positive to you? I don't know that I necessarily realised it at the time or I don't know that it was tangible but I my defining experience of my first day as an F1 was one of the medical consultants and now having thought about it I think it probably was emotional intelligence and his experience with trainees and his experience as an educationalist as well but the first thing he said to me so I was clerking with him on the acute medical take. So he was like, you go and clerk and then come back immediately, discuss it with me. We'll do a bit of support. We'll do some forms and things for your portfolio. But the first thing he said in that process was, what kind of person are you? And I was like, that's a very weird thing to say. What do you mean? And he was like, are you, you strike me as a very self-critical person and quite anxious. And I was like, well, yeah, I am. And he was like, yeah, so I will structure my feedback in that way. And I think that is something I've tried to, to model is trying to read mm. the room and read the trainees so the way that I teach with like foundation doctors is very very different to the way that I've been teaching with the third years and I don't know that I could necessarily articulate exactly what mm. it is that I do differently but there is that feeling of I suppose it's almost psychological safety isn't it mm. you know an F2 being put in a situation where they have to run a cardiac arrest in a simulation when they've done ALS is a very very different thing to passing a you know an ECG that shows sinus rhythm to a third year medical mm. student saying tell me what this is in front of a room full of people um, yeah definitely. but I think that's a big thing is like that emotional awareness yeah no for sure and and you know you definitely touched on it like people always talk about you know the hierarchy of needs and things like that but I think if you compare a third year to an F1 or an F2 like not only the amount of academic you know and medical confidence that you're gaining throughout those years but also just like you know personal self-confidence as well if I think about the person I was as a third year medical student and then the person I was as an F2 you do a huge amount of growth and development you know throughout your 20s and I think it's important to be able to as you say like read the room and have that you know emotional intelligence and you know it doesn't even have to be the way that acute medical consultant you know put it to you which is like I think you're x type of person because I think that's a pretty brave thing to do actually it's to a say yeah, it's a judgment call. I think it's difficult, especially, you know, somebody in the place of work might be a totally different person to the type of person they are outside of work. So I think it can be a little bit difficult. You need to be careful about not offending people as well. You know, if somebody called me anxious, I mean, I know I'm anxious and I'm not afraid to admit it. But I think if someone did it in front of a load of wretches, I'd be like, all right, like, don't put but me that's down. Because you've got that self-critical thing as well. <laughs> like, well, yeah, I am really anxious. Now everyone at work thinks I'm anxious and it's so obvious. Yeah, like, yeah, it's I perpetuate think... that in an anxious individual, right? So, yeah. yeah, like, I think, but I think that's important. Yeah, like, as you say, you know, being the room, having that emotional intelligence um, and those are all kind of, like, you know, unspoken skills. They're, like, part of this community of practice. You know, like, we learn them through watching other people doing it and through observation. Yeah. Before that sort of interaction, I'm, I'm interested. He sort of said, 
what type of person are you? And I'm going to use that to structure my feedback for you. Had you ever thought about feedback in that way before? Because that's something that I'm learning as well in my current teaching job is that there isn't just one type of feedback. And I think in our, in our sort of journey to where we are now, all, all the feedback I've ever got was either good or bad positive or negative or maybe constructive if you turn the negative into constructive but I'd never really thought about that within one sort of setting say in a sim because you've mentioned simulation before I never thought about within that one setting you don't have to give that one person all of that feedback that, that you've got stored up for, for your judgment on their their sort of practice really it's it's about what they want to hear at the time as well had, had you ever thought about it like that before I don't know that I had. Again, I think I probably have seen some of that behaviour and I probably have thought about it fleetingly in the moment, you know, come home from uni and been like, oh, that made me feel terrible or, oh, but actually this person said something really good. But I, I don't know that I was necessarily aware until I started doing more education that that is what is going on. And sometimes that actually is very deliberate. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I think a lot of my frustrations at university actually in hindsight and with reflection were times when I wasn't treated like an adult mm. and I try very consciously now to do that when I teach is to acknowledge that there are going to be different people in the room all with different backgrounds and different learning needs and some of them might be bringing personal stuff into the mm. room as well um yeah I don't, I don't know that I had ever really thought about it and then now so I did a, a course on how to debrief a simulation effectively and it is kind of all structured around a learning conversation and the fact that these people are adult learners and you may run the exact same same completely scripted twice and there will be a completely different conversation that goes on in that room and it's dependent on the needs and the personal things. And like Maddie was mentioning, you know, the hierarchy of needs. If that room's freezing and everyone's hungry, it's going to be a very mm -hmm. different conversation, isn't it? So everyone's on a high and I don't know, they've just ran a perfect arrest and got Rosk. It's, mm. it's dynamic, isn't it? I think. Definitely. And that idea of asking the, the student or the learner, what, what kind of feedback do you want to get today? That's not something that I've, I'd ever thought before starting sort of a more more formal education role I didn't I didn't appreciate that there was a different type of feedback but I think opening that up to the to the learner and and saying what kind of feedback do you want today and you know if they're having a bad day or they're feeling particularly anxious they want to focus on on the positives mm -hmm. that they've done today and, and you just give them the positives and maybe think of a different way to convey the constructive the constructive feedback to them afterwards but what's going to help the learner or the student there and then today I think is a really different concept and it sounds like that, that medical consultant on your first day was was very in tune like you say with with his emotional intelligence and and sort of very aware that it's your very first day and you probably don't want to be battered with a load of things that you were doing wrong um, mm -hmm. on the on the first day you probably wanted something to build you up and and, and help you feel a little bit better um, after your first day of work. And I, and I don't know whether part of that came partially from the fact that he knew me as well and he knew I'd been there as a student and so I didn't need somebody to sit there and talk me through the IT system or how referrals mm. worked or you know where the echo forms live in that department it was more about developing me as a clinician which I don't think happens mm. that early in F1 outside of that setting I think that probably biased it a little bit as well yeah no definitely and I think like 
you know, going back to feedback, it's kind of, you know, when is the right time to receive feedback? Because I've often found that sometimes, like, there is not always a right time to be receiving feedback. You know, there's all, our jobs are they're stressful and there's so many different kind of, you know, stimuli and, and inputs and often they're messy departments and busy and you know people are pressuring you for different things and you might be hungry you might be thirsty and there's so many things going on and, and sometimes you know feedback when you've got you know it's a particularly calm moment you're about to go on a lunch break or you know something good's happened to you that week you can really take it on board and be like thank you so much I really appreciate that constructive feedback but like other times it just makes you want to cry and you know how do you gauge that when you don't know somebody on the personal level you know how do you how do you kind of make sure that your feedback is is adapted to you know so many different scenarios that people are going to be in you know how do you play to to these different personality types yeah definitely and I think that links back to what you what you mentioned Chloe about getting to know your learners and acknowledging their different backgrounds that the that they bring into the into the mm. Um, how how have you found um, that process of getting to know the the students or the foundation trainees that that you're teaching and, and what sort of steps are you taking to try and get to know them all a little bit better? I think I so the way that my job is set up on a Tuesday morning most of my Tuesday morning is teaching third years and so I do meet them a few times over the space of their four-week block but because I'm at a DGH it means that they only come every so often it's not like I have a consistent group of learners over the space of a year so it's more little snippets of questions that give me insight into them mm-hmm. you know if, if they're five minutes ten minutes early for a session which rarely happens if it's 9am but if they are just a chat you know how's your weekend how are you feeling all that boring British chat about you know it's so difficult to get up when it's dark and I hate winter and you know you're feeling Christmassy yet and you can kind of gauge where they're at and what mood they're in and the energy level at which to pitch your session at Mm. um but I think just the small things like knowing what placement they're on how are they getting on with the placement have they brought a bad day yesterday to a session this morning and do I need to like air that before we start Mm, because they're not going to absorb you know how to do a reticular endothelial exam if they've had a horrible experience where somebody shouted at them the day before which happened and I think I was actually quite surprised at how much pastoral care my role involved Mm. it's not necessarily formal but there have been a few occasions where I've had emails you know unexpectedly after a session saying oh I found this really difficult today Mm. or you got any advice about how to manage xyz um and I suppose this is going to sound really cheesy but not forgetting that actually what we do is a privilege and that the fact that they felt safe enough to share Mm. that with me I think often gets lost there's that culture isn't there in medical education of oh well that is just part of my job oh well I'm just Mm. expected by the GMC to be a teacher or, or a professional and it becomes the mundane rather than how yeah. you get to meet people who share things with you but it's, it's really important that the student you know felt comfortable enough to email you because I think that takes a lot of like strength and a lot of maturity you know from a student to do that in the first place especially if they don't know you on a personal level and actually 
you know, I think we do have, unfortunately, in healthcare, you know, and especially amongst doctors, like there is a bit of culture of, you know, we should enter into F1 knowing absolutely everything. And actually, like I always compared it to, you know, being taught how to swim in theory, um, and but never in practice and someone just throws you into the deep end of the pool. Like, and you just expected to swim. So you've learned it all in a textbook, but you actually have never done it, you know, in person. You've never experienced the inner workings of a hospital. And I feel like a lot of the issues that, you know, really junior doctors have is that people just kind of expect to know things. And actually sometimes your seniors can lose touch with reality a little bit because they've forgotten what it's like to be, you know, consciously incompetent. And, and that can be, you know, difficult to deal with. So, so yeah, like, um, you know, it's really important that, that those barriers are broken down and that people just, they, you know, they just let go of their ego and say, you know, I, I really understand this and I get some help. And actually it's the best way of learning and it's definitely the best way of teaching. Are there any other positive experiences you've had, Chloe, in either as a student or since graduating that, um, that have highlighted any qualities to you that you want to take forward in in your practice other than the sort of scenario we've already discussed on your first day as a foundation doctor? I think I'm quite a fan of a flattened hierarchy. I work in an environment where that is massively a thing and I think from a trainee well-being perspective it just makes it a completely different experience. I got so much more out of my jobs where the consultants were readily available they were happy for you to text them or give them a ring while they were in theatre mm -hmm. and my current educational supervisor is he models that every day like he'll say he'll just drop me a text he'll come up to me if we're on shift together in A&E and he's like you know how are things just checking in mm -hmm. that and it works both ways I suppose doesn't it you know you don't have to um yeah it doesn't have to only be a senior looking after a trainee I suppose being brave enough as well to say like I've seen register it to consultants say have you eaten do you need a coffee mm. that kind of positive supportive environment I think is really important and also really topical isn't it at the moment yeah. like how do we improve well-being at work mm. and I don't I I don't think that impersonal wishy-washy emails about mindfulness which is I know a very cynical and scathing mm. thing to say when there's often good intention but I don't know that that yeah. is the solution I think actually the solution to a lot of the issues that are going on in medicine at the moment are the day-to-day -day stuff those day-to-day -day interactions one email mm. every three months saying we're here for you and here's the pastoral care yeah no six you know a year's worth of why weren't you at work at bang on eight o'clock why are you one minute late why haven't you paid your 12 pounds a month for parking why haven't you sorted out your tax code all of that stuff yeah I think that's the thing that, that needs support and I think I'm really lucky that I work in an environment at the moment where that is done and I think it's done mm. really well. just remembering that actually those everyday interactions are what matter yeah it sure. as well a role model to you is someone who is present it's yeah. not somebody who like you say a, a sort of mandated supervisor who you mm. hardly ever see it's important more to you that, that they're there and they're present and they, they show you that they're there, mm. that they're there for you um, and and do that in real tangible ways like you know you mentioned just little things checking in on you buying you a coffee you know acknowledging if you look like you're having a tough time let's take a step to the yeah. side and chat about how it's going um I think that's a really important quality that a, that a role model can have or, or a mentor can have 
definitely. That was yeah, much definitely. more concise than what I said. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever do you ever show kind of um, vulnerability to you know to the people that you teach, Chloe? Do you ever say you know how things have made you feel throughout the day? You know what what do you think about doing that in your teaching practice? I think my feeling is that there's a fine line. I think you know what would learners think of me if I was having a bad day and broke down in tears in front of them that mm. probably really detracts from their learning experience yeah and I'm not somebody who thinks crying at work is unprofessional because let's be honest which doctor hasn't cried at work <laughs> probably not that many. the best spot in the hospital to have a yeah. <laughs> you know that there is a very fine line but I think there is also that element isn't there of being a human and again, those intangible things that I found actually probably have role modeled my behavior are the people who I had a, a surgical consultant say to me before a ward round, look, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but one of my friends passed away yesterday. I'm on call and mentally, I don't know that I'm in the headspace I usually would be. So if you see me make a plan or a decision that doesn't fit with how you know me, you know how, what what you think I would usually do just ask me and feel free to ask me because I know that I'm wow. good and that's I think so impressive. that takes bravery but I yeah, also thought so very differently about them after that and yeah and it also meant that because they'd taken that boundary down a little bit I then felt comfortable going to them when I'd had a bad week for sure for sure and flip that and on. then as a trainee it's not sorry I'm gonna... go on, go on. like then as a trainee it's not you saying or it's not a consultant coming into the office in a strop because you usually do all the discharge letters on time. Mm. You're, you're normally a very type A person. Why today if you let the side down? Mm. It, it reframes things, doesn't it? And it's like, well, that's not your usual behaviour. So what's going on under there? Like what's happened? But all that consultant had to do is communicate that to you. And then all is explained and all is opened up. And actually, you know, as humans, I think we do every human is imperfect you know what they say like to err is human so I feel like a perfect person doesn't exist and those people that try to betray that I think they're not very like they're not very relatable those people and actually you know when people show their vulnerabilities which is a really difficult thing to do and it's, it's also really uncomfortable it's really unpleasant mm. and the British culture is that of the stiff upper lip so like it can be a really difficult thing to do but actually you know I've always felt more connected to people that show vulnerabilities and especially seniors showing vulnerability to juniors because they are you know in quotation marks supposed to be the role models for those juniors but actually you know you mentioned the Latin hierarchy like it's important that we all kind of role model for each other and um, and that just because somebody might know more on a knowledge or a practical you know level doesn't mean that that you don't have anything to offer them from an emotional perspective yeah and flip that situation on its head you didn't know that that consultant had something going on and and they, there were questionable decisions being made or, you know, they just didn't seem as present or as engaged with the patients on the ward round. Yeah. You wouldn't have felt confident to say, what's going on here? Or yeah. to challenge or question a plan that's been made by, by a senior. But like you say, they just instantly took that boundary down. They took that barrier down. And it, at the end of the day, it shows that you're both working for a common goal, aren't you? You're both trying to make sure the patients get the best care and if one of you isn't feeling up to scratch then the whole team should know so that everyone else can can fill in the gaps rather than mm. soldiering on this this thing that we have of just like Maddie you saying about the whole British the, the way that we are when we're a bit too British with our stiff upper lips mm -hmm. to try and soldier on and not show any any weakness but I don't think it is weak to no. to tell people how you're feeling or or 
sure what's happening. It's it's brave. And I actually think that was the best example I ever saw of the, you know, the GMC mandated patient safety must come first was they put their emotional vulnerability, their embarrassment, mm-hmm. their, you know, the hierarchy, the respect, all of those boundaries at work to one side because patient safety came first. And I think yeah. that's actually far healthier than them coming to work and saying I have to act like everything's okay yeah you know how we're taught about verbal cues and non-verbal cues when you see a patient and how weird would it be if a patient was giving you you know one-worded answers poor eye contact strange responses to questions that you were asking Mm. they were very cold you get a bad vibe from them don't you and you Mm. you know and you probe and you're taught and you're trained to say something Mm. else is going on here but we don't do it with each other yeah, and I just find that really odd. No, and I don't yeah. think that's just a high. I don't think that that is just a hierarchy thing either. That we don't no. we don't feel confident to do it to seniors. I don't think we're good enough at doing it with our with our peers. No, no, and I think well, I don't know about you guys, but I feel a lot of that is just kind of like it's hard to have hard conversations, and mm-hmm. um, and you know it's it's never the right time to have a really difficult conversation with somebody and be like you know I've noticed that you don't see yourself recently what's going on and that person I think because inherently you're a little bit scared that you overstep the boundary with that person and they might not want to share whatever's going on with them but actually I think you know maybe there needs to be some normalization of it's okay if you don't want to share and I'm not going to be offended and you can shout at me if you want that's fine but like just so you know that I'm here Um, and I wonder if there's a way that we can you know try and foster that within the environment that we work in because I think that would just make everything so much better just knowing that like it's a judgment-free zone but yeah I think there's a lot of you know work that needs to be done as it was just said and I think that's like I try and loop that because that is a very strong belief that I have and trying to loop that back into how I teach Mm. and loop all of that background the only way that that is ever going to change is role modeling in in the setting at which you're exposed to a senior clinician yeah and if that senior clinician is like me and has imposter syndrome and doesn't feel like they're actually that senior to you Mm. that's probably a good way of starting at least to have those conversations and I I start every session with has anybody been rushing from a ward round or a clinic do you need five minutes because ultimately you can make up five minutes in a session it's fine yeah like do any of you need that does anyone need a wee do you need a <laughs> and is anybody lacking yeah. one caffeine and then I'll say there's things I can't fix I can't fix the fact that you didn't sleep last night I can't fix mm. the fact that you had a heavy weekend but if you need a coffee or drink of water or five minutes then mm. fine and yeah. I think even just I don't want to sound really like self-aggrandizing because I don't think I do that perfectly. No, you're not. I think I think like trying and it, it's a very conscious thing that I've started to do. And it doesn't feel natural. And I haven't found a way to say it yet that doesn't feel scripted or cheesy or cliche. Mm. But I am very consciously trying to think about how I behave and the things that I say. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you are incredibly fact, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, it's very, it's very true. Um, yeah, I think, honestly, that's such a good idea, you know, at the start, just saying, you know, we can afford five minutes at the start. Does anyone need to make those things which are small but could make a big difference better? Um, yeah, I, I'm definitely going to start using that, though. Um, you need to put a trademark on that. I'm going to copy It's really good. 
<laughs> but it is true isn't it you know like how often yeah. have you been on call and tried to cannulate somebody when you've got a full bladder you never yeah. get that. like cannula does not go in yeah yeah so true well like how often have you rushed to f1 teaching because you you're everyone on the ward and you're shoving a sandwich in your mouth on the way over and then you've got indigestion and then you're in a bad mood yeah. and you don't want to concentrate like these all seem like such and you're things. not in the right place to learn and the point of me to like there is no point me delivering an hour's teaching session mm. if not a single person in that room is engaged or switched on and yeah. there are going to be good days and bad days there's stuff you don't have control over but you know I think the small things do make a difference sometimes yeah for sure for sure have you ever had any experiences on the sort of on the other end of the spectrum where you've seen such negative qualities in someone who should have been a role model that you've thought oh, I'm definitely going to make a conscious effort to not be like that I think the times that I have I don't know that I've seen that behavior consistently replicated like I do think actually a lot of that was a good person who normally behaved a certain way and therefore I had an expectation mm-hmm. who then behaved differently to what I'd expect and I felt let down Interesting. Or I expected some positive feedback from them because that was what they normally did. And that day they were a bit snappier, which is why I think that communication is so important. Mm. Um, I, I think it's just, again, obvious, cheesy, cliched things. But those people who maybe don't realise that they're doing it, but perpetuate that negative, toxic, hierarchical culture of you know, the way that they speak to a member of nursing staff, the HCA, the the housekeeper on the ward is completely different to how they would speak to Mm. another doctor. That is something that I do, I don't, it's never been directed at me, but it's stuff that I see that it really grinds my gears. And I think it probably makes me a little bit irrationally angry, but it does irritate me. And I think, you know, and then if, if that's happening and, they maybe lack the self-awareness that they're doing that. And then a medical student witnesses it and thinks, oh, that's normal behaviour. I just, I, that worries me that that would happen. Yeah, I don't think it does. Like the vast majority of people are, you know, we go into medicine because we like people, don't we, most of us, in some way. <laughs> Sometimes I question that at three o'clock in the morning in a But, you know, I think ultimately... Uh, yeah I don't know what I'm trying to say no I, I know what you mean um and and it's that person who would speak that way to a member of the nursing team or you know a member of the war team probably isn't speaking to their their trainees very nicely either or their mm-hmm. medical students and it's yeah it's like you said it's how it's the, the concern is that that gets picked up then by the students mm-hmm. on the board and like you say they think that's normal behavior to come from a senior mm-hmm. or that as you get more senior you earn the right or the authority to be able to talk to people like that Mm -hmm. um it sort of feeds back into everything we've been talking about doesn't it about being a a positive not necessarily always positive but a a role model who can who is who is empathetic and can and can verbalize and communicate their feelings and and how that's impacting their work and it's sort of a yeah like you say you mentioned self-awareness an extra sort of level of self-awareness isn't it that I'm not functioning at my top capacity today how can I make sure that work still happens and the cogs keep turning even if I'm not at 100 percent 
Mm. I think I think some of the best more some of the best role modeling that I've seen, I can't get my words out anymore, is from like senior nursing staff who maybe don't just clinically nurse anymore, but like have a governance role or have done like ACCP training or something else. Mm. They've kind of broadened their skill set. But I think the best role modeling I've seen is actually that communication around challenging a behavior or challenging a decision that you don't think as a professional is right Mm. and I think that I think actually nurses do that incredibly well and the best nurses that I've seen do it are ICU nurses and A&E nurses Mm. especially with junior staff like it's got me out of trouble a lot of times where nurses are like we don't usually do it like that yeah something not even that obvious but kind of are you sure are you sure or oh okay that's really interesting like I've had a nurse say to me oh that's really interesting doc like why why did you decide that and not x and not y and then you're like whoops yeah and it made my brain go oh my god I can't believe I just did that and it was very measured Mm. and it was done on purpose but I I think it was very very clever communication and it shows you how you can maybe probe and challenge behaviors without being assertive well not even assertive aggressive Mm. with it or without making somebody feel incompetent or undermined or you know all of those negative connotations yeah yeah you don't need to like affront somebody do you You just need to it's just all about framing it in you know in a polite way or just like you know as I said like are you sure you meant to do this or we don't normally prescribe it this way or you know like I can think of a number of occasions that's happened to me like I'm sure it's happened to Em as well and mm-hmm. um, and it just it doesn't make you feel incompetent you know I'm always really grateful to those nurses that say that to me because I'm like yeah of course you know like I did make a mistake and I'm not even going to pretend to make excuses and say I was 5am or you know I hadn't had a wee like I made a mistake because I'm a human being and I yeah. made mistakes and it's fine but that's why we work in a team to have people pick up on our mistakes and call us out but we have to be able to like foster an environment where people don't feel afraid to to call that out and I think um it's acknowledging that everyone in the team has different qualities and different strengths and weaknesses that they can bring to the team as well and not not just keeping everybody in their pre pre-filled boxes of you do this and I do this and that person does that it's 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 more cohesive teamwork isn't it yeah and then I think like everybody is an expert in their own thing aren't they and I think like imposter syndrome is is rife like you were just saying Mads like who am I to challenge that or question that and I've had that conversation a lot of times with my educational supervisor of me feeling like there is a proximity between me and the medical students and who mm. am I to be teaching them about how mm. to do X, Y, Z? Mm. And actually it's the realisation, or, you know, I'm running a simulation for some of the IMTs next week. Mm. They're more senior to me and some yeah, of them that's have experience and they're in a yeah. training programme. And I've asked the question, you know, how do I broach that when I debrief? Yeah. But it's flipping it on its head and saying, well, yeah, okay, they are more experienced than me, but do they necessarily have as much education experience maybe not do they you know are they trained to debrief maybe not and I think it's recognizing and seeing that in your colleagues as well if somebody's questioning what you're doing or how you're acting Mm -hmm. the person may well have a master's degree in something else yeah 
you know that you you're not necessarily aware of that isn't an integral part of their role. yeah 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 completely and if it and if they if they don't and you know it decides they someone challenges a decision you've made or a plan that you've made and and actually you think that you want to stick with that then it's just a learning opportunity for everybody mm. involved isn't it it's mm. just it's for me there's no there's no bad way that it can end it always ends with learning on one yeah. side or the other. so yeah. it's about making those conversations a bit more commonplace and that's yeah I think it yeah back to the sort of higher up yeah. we've been talking about doesn't it and, and it comes back to what we were saying about feedback as well you know feedback isn't always explicit feedback is those tiny conversations that you have every day that change your practice mm. or like my my supervisor he knows that part of his personality is that he's very self-critical so he's flipped that on its head and he said to me I'm not so this year for my like 360 feedback I know that when people write positive things about me I don't pay a blind bit of notice because I don't believe they're true anyway so he was like I've made a point during my 360 feedback this year to send it out to people that I maybe clash with more often than others at work Mm -hmm. so that I can get real feedback about what it is that I do wrong that rubs them up the wrong way and I thought Mm -hmm. that was really interesting yeah because that's normally the opposite of what people do isn't it it's normally like I'm going to send it to everyone that I know likes me and going to give them great feedback and I'm going to pass my tab and everything's going to be great. But, and um, I think that's fine as a junior because your, yeah. your mental load is like, I just need to get through ARCP and I just yeah. need to be reassured that actually I'm not out yeah. of my depth. Yeah. Which you very much are at the beginning. But I should think- there be a less formal way of giving feedback mm. that doesn't mean that you might not pass your ARCP? Like, can there be, you know, like, I think the Gratix is a really great initiative. Like the hospital that I worked at did Gratixes and I thought it was really good because you could give someone anonymous good feedback and it wasn't always, you know, I'm going to Datix you. Like, Datixes are actually supposed to be used for, like, clinical improvement purposes and keeping yeah, patients safe, but it became, it became this kind of culture of being a threat. Like, I'm going to Datix you. Like, it shouldn't be used like that you know like why why is it becomes some sort of horrible like reaction word it's terrifying you know like um yeah so so it's important to make sure that we are you know giving feedback in a more informal but like safe environment like you said yeah, with minimal repercussion yeah if that's appropriate to the feedback that you're that you're giving that yeah that taking this sort of the fear out of constraint constructive feedback or that you've done something wrong and flipping it on its head and and using it as a positive to to move forward and do something different next time yeah no definitely I think one of the things that you know one of your um one of your conversations before was <laughs> I was thinking about is like you know when people give speeches or they give you a lecture and they always find the need to justify their qualification for giving you that lecture so I am Dr so-and-so and I've got my MRCP I've taken my exit exam I'm this is my orchid number these are my publications and I don't have an issue with that and I think people should be proud of what they've achieved but ultimately you know and I find myself doing that as well like why am I doing this like why do I actually have to you know, earn people's respect with, you know, some letters, like, you know, my post-nominals shouldn't really matter, like, you should just, you know, listen to what I have to say, and just provide me with, like, basic human respect, and just be interested anyway, so I think it's interesting how people do that, like, it's just something to reflect upon, like, why, why do people feel the need to have to justify their, you know, qualifications in, in being able to teach you, because anyone can teach anybody anything. So, to finish off, 
Chloe, if you could go back to your first day in F1 um, and say something to that um, consultant that supervised you on that first day um, that made you sort of feel a little bit more at ease with the qualities that they role modelled, what, what would you like to say back to them if you could go back? I think now that I have an education role, I think I would have maybe asked them why they did that. Because it, it might have been that actually they'd recently been on like a course or they'd had feedback about their teaching that meant that that might have been the first time they'd ever asked that question. And that was why they phrased it so bravely yeah. or so explicitly. And I think it would just be like asking them why they did that and understanding it so that I could maybe mull that over and make my own reflection on why that was such a positive experience for me a bit more explicit. Like, so it, it was more concise instead of me feeling this very wishy-washy or that person was nice to me on my first day now I feel good about it yeah definitely and moving forwards what piece of advice or what would you say to the you know the role models of the future the medical students that you're teaching about about how they conduct themselves sort of on the wards and on placement and things I think thinking about everything that we've discussed, and I hate this word, but I can't think of a better one. The theme to a lot of that was bravery. The medical consultant was really brave in the way that he phrased that and making that jump to understanding me. The surgical consultant was brave in telling me that they were having a bad day and they were willing to be vulnerable. And I've said the exact phrase in an email to a medical student last week who said, how do I ask a doctor to give me feedback when they're so busy? And my response was be brave because if mm. you ask them politely and professionally, they will say yes. And if they can't do it, then they will find a time or they will signpost you to a person or they'll give you a piece of advice. And as I really hate the word brave. I can't think of a better word, but I think it is just be brave and be bold in trying to reflect on what you've seen and the experiences you've had and how you can then put that into your own practice and make yourself better than that person was as well P push yourself forward to do those things very deliberately yeah I think that's my advice be brave I love that that sounds like great. I wake up every morning crying in the mirror doesn't it be like be brave no no that's great <laughs> the truth at the so moment great. <laughs> thanks Chloe um thank you so much for coming on our podcast for being the first guinea pig guest on our <laughs> podcast I'm I'm so happy that it was you somebody that I know well and that you can just edit out with these papers um, <laughs> so yeah thank you so much yeah okay thanks for putting it with my waffling absolutely no waffle that's been perfect <laughs> thank you